been in part of in other churches is that the groups multiply. And the picture I was getting, and, and, and I've gotten before, it, wasn't, it was reminded to me again, when we talk about multiplying a group or a group dividing and starting other groups, it gets kind of scary for those in a group. You never want to leave. And I saw this picture. There's different ways to multiply a group. And what's happening here is uh, sometimes when a group gets so big they can't be in the same house together, they, they multiply and maybe half will go here and half will go there. And that's one way to multiply a group. Another way to multiply a group uh, in, in the way it looks like we're going in my group is that you raise up another leader and then you plant him out to start his own group as, as he begins to gather people around. That's what Corey and I are going to be doing in the next couple of months. Another way to plant a, a multiply a group is to raise up a leader from within the group and the leaders leave and they go and start another group. So, you know, I'm excited because, you know, if, if, if God will bring this to fruition, we've got a, a, a life group now that meets off the hill in, in, uh, in another county uh, down the hill. And we are now possibly going to have another life group that will be in Tennessee because we're planting <laughs> leaders. And, uh, and that's what it's about. You know, we're planting leaders and to, to keep going. And, and the, the picture that that is, is is really a family. When, when parents are growing up their kids, it comes a time when the kids have to leave home and start their own families. But they will never cease to be a family. And those opportunities will come together when they can gather back together as a family again. And that's what group multiplication is about. It's about families raising up together and then one day the kids go, you know what, I'm old enough. It's time for me to have my own family. And they begin to go and do that. But they get together again and become part of the original family and they celebrate in a larger celebration. Um, real quickly, we've got a video I want to show, but want an update for Robert McDonough. He's going to Mexico in three weeks. And uh, we're excited. Be praying for him. Uh, a case of Bibles have come in for, in Spanish that he's taking down. I know some donations are beginning to come in. Be praying for the trip. Be praying for fruit. Uh, at this point, Robert is short about $120. And I look around the room and I say, there's over 40 of us. Could, could, is it possible that each of us could give a dollar a week for the next three weeks? And that is $120. So something that you could do just real simple maybe uh, towards funding the last $120 for his trip and then we're going to see him go again and, and bring back and, and just do the things they're doing, ministering to the, to the people down there, the leaders, bringing supplies and it's such a fruitful thing. Um, and you, those trips are always available. Uh, he does them two and three times a year so if you want to go in the future, uh, you'll be praying about that. I got a real quick video I want to share and then we'll get into the message. It's real serious video, by the way, so be careful. Caught him off guard. Not, oh well, we'll do this one. That's not it.
technical, technical. There we go. Uh, the, the core is based on of the life group definition that we have here at Christian Center. It's on the wall. It's in different places. Because at the core of Big Bear Christian Center are life groups. And these are the things we're talking about this morning. We're celebrating life groups. Um, we had a great life group meeting. Uh, I'm, I love my family in ours. But at the core of Big Bear Christian Center are life groups of 3 to 15 people. They meet weekly throughout Big Bear Valley, Tennessee, and Southern California. <laughs> Empowered by the Holy Spirit through prayer. Their purpose is to make disciples through spiritual growth, community, evangelism, which results in group multiplication. So over the, the course of the next couple of months, we're going to be talking about the core. What is at the core of Big Bear Christian Center? It's these life groups. And they're powered by the Holy Spirit. We spent four weeks talking about the need of, of being filled with the Holy Spirit, why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives us power, power for evangelism, power for boldness, gifts, things that will help us go and re- preach the gospel into all the world and into our local community. We need to be a people who are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to stand up against the enemy. We spent some time doing that. We're going over the next three weeks going to be talking about prayer. We need to become a people of prayer and prayer in the Holy Ghost. We need to learn what it is to, to get into the presence of God. After that, we're going to go right around, right, right around the room and talk about each of these fundamentals in the series of the core. These are the things that should be driving us. There's much more to the Christian life, but I believe it all fits in to these things. Discipleship, spiritual growth, community, evangelism, and group multiplication. And that's where we actually keep growing and more people get saved and we just continue the process that we're going throughout the whole world. We've had a lot of people come through Big Bear Christian Center over the years who've, who've come and they've been part of the fellowship and the family, and then they move on. And that's, that is indicative of, uh, am I dying batteries here? It is important for all those who listen online. Whoever listens to messages online. All right. And so, you know, one of the things, if you've lived up in Big Bear for any length of time, you know that people come in and they go back out again. One of the visions that God has given me is, is to not let them just go and go and join another church, but to be changed so much where we will begin to plant leaders throughout the world. You know, we're supposed to be discipling and really raising up leadership that they will go and make a difference. We're not all just supposed to be just, just following the crowds, but I believe that God is calling us all into to leading people to Christ. We, I want to make a difference where we're planting life groups and that they, those life groups could even spring off and start churches. Wouldn't it be great to be something where we would be planting churches throughout all the United States? We've come in with so many, and I believe that's one of the things that Big Bear is going to continue to do unless things change. People are going to come and people are going to go. And it's such a hard place to be in. Who's had to say goodbye to too many friends over the years? Um, And so we're in the core. We're talking about all these principles. And we're starting this morning on prayer. And boy, preaching on prayer, it's it's been weeks in, in in preparation. Uh, weeks of praying, uh, spent a week fasting. We're going we're gonna to be talking about um, over the course of the next three or so weeks, and, and maybe God will extend it beyond three, but answering some of the questions. Why do we pray? 
Why do we pray? What happens when we pray? Does anything really happen? If you're like me, there's been times you've prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing seems like it happened. You go, why did I pray? Nothing happened. We need to, we're going to learn about some of these principles of prayer. Why we pray. What happens when we pray? Is prayer worth the effort? Is prayer worth the effort? Does God respond to my prayer? How does God respond to my prayer? Can anything hinder my prayers? We need to spend time as believers is get into the word to find out what it is about this thing that we call prayer. I almost brought a whole bunch of books down from my shelves. I've got dozens of books on prayer and they're, they're great. Some of these books. And, but, you know, we've, we can read the books and we can hear the sermons, but we need to become a people of prayer. People who actually pray. There's a few quotes and, and actually a few quotes. I printed this off just for fun. This is 13 pages of quotes on prayer. 120 quotes on prayer. And they are, they're awesome. They're powerful quotes. Things that if you, re- you read them and it, and it convicts you. Things that speak truth. But uh, this morning I want to give just a, a, few, a few things that I found. And this was just from one site. Um, I found a couple others that had another 50 to 100 that weren't in this list. Um, you know, quotes about prayer from people who've prayed. Not just people who've written about it. There's a prayer that I want to become a part of us. Uh, it was written by, it was, it was prayed by Leonard Ravenhill. And, and first I want to say, he, he, he said this, he said, Let the fires go out in the boiler room of the church, and the place will still look smart and clean, but it will be cold. The prayer room is the boiler room for spiritual life. When the fires go out in the boiler room, the place still looks nice and tidy and clean, but it's cold. Prayer is the boiler room for us. When we are not praying, we can look good. We can look clean to the world, but we become a cold people. We're not affecting anyone. We're not warming. We're not giving the warmth of Jesus Christ to anyone. But this prayer, I read it to the worship team this morning. Can we become like Leonard Ravenhill who prayed this? Lord, I tearfully ask... Teach me to pray with groanings so that there are earthquakes in hell. Teach me the groanings of the Spirit until angels stand in awe. Teach me spirit-born intercession that changes history. Teach me the birth pangs of the Holy Ghost until hell-shaking revival is born. Lead me into travail that will hold back divine judgment from the nations for a little season. Let me be a living sacrifice on the altar of prayer, bleeding to bless until flood tides of mercy sweeps the nation. Lord, break my heart in intercession until my eyes, like that of Jeremiah, are a fountain of tears weeping for the slain of an educated but spiritually dead people. Can we pray those things and say, God, let it be that when we pray, things happen and that you convict us until we're on our knees because prayer is the only work that we can really do. Prayer is so important as, as Christians, that we, yet we uh, do it so little and so... Prayer is what God is calling us to. I believe, I, I believe again with D, Dick Eastman, he says, nothing happens apart, but nothing happens but by prayer. But we spend so much time in programs and doing other things. And, and, and I'll tell you, as a guy, as a man, prayer seems like a harder work. I don't know, what, but I've talked to a lot of men praying because we're doers. We'd rather do and fix than go to God in prayer. We need to change that mindset as men because God is calling us to be leaders. Leaders in our home, leaders in the community. And we need to become a people of prayer. And prayer changes things.
Corey Ten Boom asked this question. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is it what we just have extra in the back in case we need it? Or is it what's driving and giving us direction? Pastor Jeff, this, I'm sure you've heard this because you know Armin Gesswein, I believe, personally. If you want to see how popular the church is, attend Sunday morning worship. If you want to see how popular the pastor is, attend Sunday evening. If you want to see how popular God is, attend the prayer meeting. Ouch. (laughs) Are we giving our service to God? Are we praying? You know, prayer is important to the Lord. Why He chose that, I don't know. I I really don't. He didn't need to. He, He could act. He chose to act in response to our prayers. We need to understand that He chooses to respond to us in prayer. And it's those prayers that move the hand of God. When Jesus was walking on the earth, his disciples came to him. He was teaching and praying. Luke 11. Turn with me to Luke 11. That's the text for this morning. And we'll hit on it over the course of the next few weeks a few different times. As you're doing that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth in your word. We pray that you would light a fire in our boiler room. Call us back to a life of prayer. Teach us about fasting and call us into times of intercession. Prayer, fasting, God. Open up our hearts to respond to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke 11, it says, Now it came to pass... As he was praying in a certain place when he ceased. I'm going to stop right there because this is, I got the picture that he was praying and praying and praying. Because it says, as he was praying when he ceased. So in the middle of as he was praying, he stopped almost like maybe to get a breath. And his disciple says, stop, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And it was just this great picture. Jesus was praying. Maybe he went, you ever been with someone like that? The only time you can talk to them, praying. If you got, you got to pray, you got to wait until they breathe so you can get something in there. And that's what I believe was happening. He says, Jesus, teach us to pray. I believe there's twofold in this teach us to pray, though. I believe they were asking the question that we've interpreted most often. Teach us how to pray. Jesus, teach us how to pray. But I believe there was another implication in that. Jesus, teach us to pray. Jesus was a man of prayer. These disciples, they grew up in the synagogues. They were Jews. They've heard prayer. They knew how to pray. They were asking, teach us to do it. And that's a question we need to ask. Teach me to pray, Lord. Teach me to pray. Give me something, God. Help me to understand the passion that you had. Jesus was a man of passion for prayer. It's been said that Jesus went from prayer meeting to prayer meeting doing miracles in between. 
He was always praying. He was always lifting up his face to heaven, standing, praying, sitting, praying. In this passage in Luke, he goes on and gives them a model prayer. We're going to talk about that probably more next week. But in Matthew 14, 23, it gives us, I'm going to give some scriptures of some pictures of Jesus in his prayer life. Matthew 14, 23, 23, it says that Jesus was on the hill alone praying at evening. Now, right before that, it says that he put his disciples in the boat as evening was approach, as evening was approaching. And he sent them across the lake and he went up on the hill to pray. As evening, and, and evening is, is kind of evening, right? Five, six, seven o'clock in the evening. He sent them across the lake. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus walks out to his disciples. He's up on the hill praying at evening. But the next thing we know, it's the fourth watch of the night. What's the fourth watch of the night? That's that, what we t- call the ungodly hour. That maybe you've been woken up to it and you're not happy about. Three o'clock in the morning to six a.m. is the fourth watch. The fourth watch. Jesus started praying at evening and the next thing we know, it's the fourth watch. And Jesus goes walking on the water out and meets the guys in the boat. I, have a, I just don't think that Jesus was sleeping. He was praying. I think he was in the presence of the Father all night. And he goes out and he walks on water. And he goes up to the boat. Jesus was a man of prayer. He's God. The Son of God. And yet he prayed. Luke 5.16 says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6.12 says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and he spent the night He spent the night praying. Most of us spend the night wanting to pray, but we sleep. You know, that that, that time to talk with God at the end of the day is a wonderful, beautiful time. If you lay down and spend a few moments talking with God, I think it's beautiful if you fall asleep talking to God. But not if that's the only time you get to talk to Him. You don't want to fall asleep during the only conversation you have with somebody. Luke 9.18 says, Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked this question, Who do the crowds say I am? We just read one day Jesus was praying in a certain place in Luke 11. He prayed for Simon in Luke 22. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we find his probably his most horrific and anguishing prayer where he kept praying, God, take this cup from me. Father, take this cup from me. Three times he prayed, interceding, pressing back into God, not just praying once and going away and forgetting it, but wanting to see an answer, God, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Mark 1, we see that very early In the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus was drinking his coffee and waking up. He left the house and went to pray early.
Mark 6, he left them and went on a mountainside to pray. His disciples, I believe, were saying, not just give us a formula for prayer, but teach us to do it. Give us your passion. Help us to understand the need for prayer. We see it in the, throughout the history of the Bible. And we see it in you. You're with us. Daniel wasn't. Jeremiah wasn't. They were men of prayer. You're standing in front of us. Jesus, teach us to pray. Give us a passion. They knew about praying people. They were raised in the synagogue. The, the, the chapter that goes along with Luke 11 is Matthew chapter 6. As a Christian, there is no doubt that we're supposed to be praying people. As a Christian, there is absolutely no doubt. Over and over, Jesus says things like this. When you pray. Whenever you find the when you in the Bible, that means it's assumed that you're going to do it. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the scripture that says when you fast. It's a when you. Not an if you. Christian, we don't, we don't have to, we don't wait around and go, God, are you calling me to fast? No, thank you. <laughs> God assumes that we're going to fast. But that's in a few weeks. If I tell you which week, you won't come. When you pray... You shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray. Now, this is a good verse for not proof texting. You're not supposed to stop in the middle of a verse. Because if I did, it says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray. We're supposed to love to pray also. But they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. When we pray, it's not to be seen by men. Prayer meetings are a great time, but don't come just so that you can punch the clock and say, I showed up. See, I was here. But it's important that we pray together. But when you pray, verse 6, go into your room, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. And then we go into the most famous prayer that many of us have memorized, probably in the King James Version. But it goes like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us. Our debts, our, our trespasses, our sins, as we forgive those who've trespassed or sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, deliver us from the enemy. And I do love Matthew because it ends the prayer, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And some of your, your Bibles may not have that. And that was a model prayer that that Jesus gave us. And and we'll talk about that more really next week. But his disciples are saying, teach us to be people of prayer. And he gives two things. He he gave us a life that showed his passion for prayer. And he gave us an example of praying and how the things that we, we should pray for. It's not just about many, 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 many words. 
It's not about being seen, but it's about touching God. What is prayer? Prayer is such an interesting thing for some. And, and for some people, prayer is simply asking God for things. God, can you do this? God, can you do that? God, can you, can you, can you? And that's a part of prayer. But there's, a, there's more wrapped up into prayer than just asking God for things. When I look at the people who exampled prayer to me throughout the Bible, I go all the way back, and of course we could, could never, ever get them all in, but I'm going to go quickly through and talk about some of the people who prayed and maybe say, well, that wasn't prayer. And I'll say, yeah, I believe it was. Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. I believe they were praying because they were having fellowship and communication. They were talking and listening to God in His presence. Enoch walked with God and he was no more. He had such close fellowship, relationship, such a great prayer life that God said, I'm going to take you to be with me in heaven. I can't wait to meet Enoch because he is beyond almost everyone else I can see in Scripture because he's the only one who was raptured early. Noah had such a close relationship with God that he was able to hear God specifically about rain and floods and building a boat and the right size and the measurements. I mean, he heard from God. That's called prayer. He heard God. Abraham. Abram. He interceded. God came through his camp and he interceded on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God said, you know, for the sake of ten righteous. He got him down. He interceded for that city and said, you know, for the sake of ten, I wouldn't destroy it. And there wasn't even ten found there. But because Abraham interceded for the city, Lot was spared, he and his family. Jacob prayed, he wrestled with God until God blessed him. That's a type of prayer, wrestling with God all night. Moses stood between God and man time and time and time again and interceded for them. Don't destroy them. Moses prayed. He heard God's voice and he spoke to God. Prayer is more than just asking. It can be interceding. It can be in relationship. You've got to be open to a communication relationship with God, even in the point of looking at Gideon in the example. He wasn't setting his heart to pray and seek with God, but there must have been something about Gideon that he was able to hear from God. Because as he was trampling out the wheat, wheat there, God called down and says, Oh, you mighty man of valor. And he had a conversation with God. And God called Gideon to go and be one of the judges of Israel. God wants to have relationship. He wants to have communication. But he doesn't want to only do the listening. He has lots to tell us. And we're going to hear it through prayer. When I think about people who heard God, I think of the prophets. Isaiah and Jeremiah, Jonah. They had to hear from God in order to speak forth the oracles and tell the people what was to come. So prayer is about listening as well as it is speaking. But prayer does encompass asking. I love the, the prayer. It's, we know it from the book, the prayer of Jabez in First Chronicles 4. I want to go there. Let's read that. This is a great, a great place to say, you know, it's okay to pray for yourself. And it's okay to ask God of things. And could I even say, it's okay to say, Lord, bless me. It's okay to say that. God knows your heart. He knows if you're egocentric, selfish, or just saying, God bless me, and I'll be a blessing to you. 
in the middle of reading all the family of Judah and all these sons and names of people. And if you've read through, Bobby, you've, you may have even passed through this. We have. I'm just going to just for fun, I'm going to start in verse six and where Nayara bore him. This is chapter four in first Chronicles. Nayara bore him Abuzim, Hefer, Temeni and Haha. Ha'ahashtari. There were the sons of Na'ara. The sons of Hila were Zareth, Zohar, and Ethnan, and Kaz begot Anub and Zobabah, and the families of Aharel, and the son of Harum. And I mean, just the, the names keep going. You go, you know that this is true because nobody would fake these names. <laughs> and then in, ver- in the middle of all these names that you can't pronounce, it says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed, enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me, and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Chalub, the brother of Shua, begot Meher, who was... Did you get that? Right in the middle of this list of who cares all Oh, my goodness, all these names. And it says, Jabez was honorable, and he prayed, Bless me indeed, enlarge my territory. And God heeded his prayer. Become a honorable in God's sight. Live for God. Have communication. Don't be afraid to say, God, bless me. Bless me indeed. Enlarge my territory. But the, see the last part that shows his heart. It says, um, keep me from evil that I might not cause pain. He didn't just say, keep me from bad stuff happening. He says, keep me from evil so that I don't hurt other people. His heart was for God. It was for not causing pain on other people. He was noble and he was a righteous man. And God heard that prayer that said, bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. Prayer encompasses so much more than just praying and asking for things. It's communication with God. It's spending time as we even see with Jesus out on the mountainside all night long. We need to get that posture of being a praying person. Praying at all times. Thessalonians 5 says, pray without ceasing. And that's really hard to do. Because every once in a while I have to speak. You know, at the store, when you're checking out, it's kind of hard to be in the middle of prayer. Oh God, I just pray that you would bless this corn. I mean, you actually have to talk to the checker. But God is calling us to be a people who are continually in prayer, about prayer. Driving down the road when... When, when somebody's walking on the side of the road and you look at them and say, God, bless them. Be, be open to that which God might want you to pray about continually. That's what pray without ceasing is. So, so God wants us to be those who would be continually aware of prayer, but he also wants us to be those who would go and shut ourselves in into the quiet place and pray and intercede and stand in the gap for others. Prayer is so integral to the life of the Christian, and yet we do so little of it. Paul, again and again, teaching about prayer to the letter in the letters he wrote, and even saying, "Pray for me, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me." You know, if prayer wasn't effective, Paul wouldn't have wasted his ink saying, "Pray for me." He says, "Pray for me." If prayer wasn't important, Jesus would have never addressed it in saying, when you pray, pray like this. Pray, pray, pray. Some things that happen in prayer. You can tell it's not just about asking God. God, give me, give me, give me, give me. 
Acts 10.10, Acts 11.5, and Acts 22.17 all say the same thing. Peter and Paul. While they were praying, they fell into a trance. Right away, we're going, that's New Age, isn't it? Trance. Not supposed to do trances. They did. Something happened. They were praying. They didn't fall asleep. They fell into a trance. The word in the Greek trance comes, it's ecstasis, the word where we get ecstasy. Not the drug, but the reason they named the drug ecstasy. Because it brings you into this place of, of just joy and different thoughts and another, and another mindset. They were praying so much in the presence of God that they fell into an ecstasy in the spirit. Wow. I mean, you know, let's, let's get outside of our churchiness for a second. And can we just go, wow? I have a hard time going ecstasy, prayer. How does that work? That, that doesn't sound good. They fell into a trance, an ecstasis, ecstasis, an ecstasy of prayer. And when they did, they saw visions and God taught them what to do and showed them what they must do. You know, it's hard to, when you're in the middle of really thinking about certain things and praying for it, to fall into a trance. But as you're meditating and just musing on God, quiet in His presence, you can get out to that point where you're just in that ecstasis, that wow. And that's when God can speak to you. But it doesn't come in a 30-second prayer. Dear God, bless this food, my Cheerios, and this orange juice, and let me have a good day, amen, and go off to work. There's no ecstasy in Cheerios. But there is in spending time with Almighty God. Over and over again. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. He wants to speak to us. He wants to show us things in our time of prayer. But it's not going to happen in just our short times of prayer. We need to begin to become a people of prayer, setting aside times to sit in His presence. Soak, sit there, worship Him. The very first part of the prayer that Jesus taught us was our Father who art in heaven. The, the, the very first part of the Father part, we need to understand that we're His children, that He's accepted us, that we have a relationship with Him that's, that's intimate. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. And the next part where we need to go is begin to bless Him and worship Him. Why do we start off services with worship and praise? Because we need to lift Jesus to the place that He deserves to be lifted against all of our worries and our issues in life and say, God, You're worthy. And as we can do that, he, we, we can move spiritually into another domain where we're ready to hear and receive from God. That's why worship and praise is so important. And that's why we do it at the beginning of service. It's not just to make you stand for 30 minutes before you get to sit down. Giving Him all glory and honor. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. God, my Daddy, who's intimate with me, you know my name. And you're exalted above all. You are in heaven, lifted up above this earth, so much greater. You're holy. Your name is holy. It's incredible. Nothing on this earth that compares with the name of God. And begin to just declare who He is in prayer. God is calling us into a new place, into a deeper place.
So often we say, who wants to see the lost saved? People raise their hand. Who wants to see healings? Who wants to see your, your, your family walk out of the sinful lifestyle? All those things are going to happen, I believe, through prayer. It's going to happen through prayer. It's not going to happen through the cunningness of words. It's not going to happen through a great program we do at the church. We could, we could do feeding programs and, and do all of these things and bring people in and they might they go, wow, you guys are so nice. You're so nice. We're going to start coming to your church and they're going to come here, but they will never be set free because it's a spiritual transaction that needs to happen in their heart. And we need to break through. And I believe we break through only through prayer. Without prayer, we look good, but the fire's out and we become cold. I agree wholeheartedly. With Leonard Ravenhill. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll talk more about the forms of prayer. We're going to spend, spend some time really talking about fasting. And I'm going to challenge everyone to fast. That's the F word for us Christians. <laughs> fast. We'll talk about it. We'll make sure we have literature available because maybe, maybe physically you, you can't fast or you, if you fast, you have to speak to a doctor. We're going to talk about those things, but I believe God is calling us to a place of praying and fasting, walking away from the things of the world, denying the flesh, getting into His presence so that we can call down heaven to impact earth. We need His presence here. We need His presence. We need, we need to hear His voice daily. Give us direction. Show us. I'm glad that Paul went to the Gentiles. He says, Paul had a plan. In one of these where he fell into a trance, he had a plan. He was going to be in the synagogue. He was ready to preach. And, and, and he fell into a trance. And God says, no. He says, well, wait a second. They're going to, I mean, look, I used to be one of them. And now I've got the truth. And God says, no, they're not going to receive it. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. Because he was spending time in God's presence enough to be in that place where he could have joy, to be in the ecstasy in the presence of God and hear his voice clearly. And he took the gospel to the Gentiles. What does God have for you? You're not going to hear his voice if, we're not, if you're not praying. We've got to turn our hearts. And it's, you know, it's, it's hard. I had a friend. He, he uh, Became a Christian in, in, in uh, well, his young age, but he came back to the Lord in, in about at about eighteen, and he was on fire for the Lord. And he had he had a sleep problem. He loved sleep. Anyone else can relate with that? If you have a teenager in your house, you know what that looks like. And he was a teenager, and he loved his sleep, but he wanted to pray. So he had this thing called Robbie the Robot. It's a little robot. This is about nineteen eighty nine, and he programmed his robot to roll into his room and make a whole bunch of noise at 6 in the morning. So, you know, that didn't work. He, he hooked up a big speaker, it was about this big, to his alarm clock. And he put the alarm clock across the room, but the speaker by his bed, by his head, and it would go off and it was very loud, and he would wake up and crawl across the room and turn off the alarm and get back into bed. <laughs> And so he finally got a longer cable on his speaker cord and he put his alarm clock in the shed out back. He lived on Dutch right down here. So this is in Big Bear. And he put it out in the shed, but he kept the speaker inside. So he had to go outside to turn off the alarm clock. 
he set up a place of carpet and a little table with his Bible already opened on it. And when he was out there, he would kneel down and read his Bible and pray. He understood the importance and he went to extreme measures to do it. We need to meet with God. Sometimes we need to have extreme measures. It's not a message about guilt. This is the message you preach anywhere and everyone's guilty. Everyone needs to pray more. But let, let, let's not be offended and say, you know, I just feel so, so guilty. And let's just say, God, I, just, I need to spend more time with you. How can I do it? Help me. We, let us be like the disciples this morning and say, teach us to pray. Not just how. We know how to pray. Lord, Father, God. You ever wonder why we say Lord, Father, God? You have a conversation with dear God and God, and I just pray, God, that you would do this, God. And thank you, God. How about God? Go on from there. I had a hard day yesterday, and I got another hard day coming up. I need your presence in the midst of this day. We've got some meetings, and I don't know what to do. Can you show me what to do? Sit in his presence, listen. But we need to say, teach us to pray. Give us the passion. Truly help us to connect with, if we don't pray, people will die and go to hell. If we don't pray, somebody who God wants to heal may not be healed because he does things in, regard, in response to our prayer. Teach us to pray, Lord God. Let your kingdom come. Let your rule affect my friends and family and neighbors. God, you put principles in, in action, in line. Because of your presence, I pray that those principles would impact this valley. I ask that all around this place your will begins to be done more than the enemy's will. Just like it happens in heaven. Now we pray that you would continue to provide for our needs. Help us not to worry about our next meal. And we thank you for all your provision. God, we've done some really awful things. Maybe some of them we haven't asked your forgiveness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for those things. God, you forgave us. Help us to forgive the people who've hurt us and sinned against us. And God, this morning we declare that yours is the kingdom. This place belongs to you. The glory belongs to you. And the only power that's important is you and your power. Amen. Amen. Come back at 1 o'clock. Before we go, just want to read Psalm 63, 3 and 4 says, Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. This is going to be a great week for life groups to dialogue and to share what the Lord's shown you in this message and in the issue of prayer. 
sharing together in life. I mean, this is a life-giving message. And uh, I look forward to the life groups this week conversing. Uh, something very important I want you to do before you come back next Sunday morning, though. Would you promise to do this one thing for me? Turn your clocks ahead. It's next weekend. Otherwise, you will be an hour late. <clears throat> and uh, as you're going, just to bring it up to another level, just to say, be sure and plan on March 31st and April 1st, that toward the end of the month here, the Saturday ordination service for Pastor Rob here at the church, and then Sunday morning our regular celebration will be his installation service. And I find it significant that then his first Sunday for being the, the pastor of Big Bear Christian Center will be Easter the following weekend. So mine was Easter also in, in uh, 1984. So don't miss those things, okay? Amen. God bless. Amen. See you at 1 o'clock. We'll have a party with the Thesons.